glad um, that you guys are here this morning. So last week we, um, we asked a question, and it was a question that I think most of us have, have kind of run through our minds at some point in time on Christmas. I mean, what is Christmas about really, right? I mean, what is this really about? And, and if we look culturally, you know, Christmas is about those things that uh, sort of embody the season for us, right? They're about, it's about snowfall and winter and, and mittens and jingle bells and hot chocolate and red Starbucks cups and, her, you know, red and green Hershey's Kisses and all those kind of things. And, and your mom baking sugar cookies and all things that smell like cinnamon and apples. And I told you last week, it's about those Lexus commercials, right? Where the family gather on the fire and the big bow on the car and they have a snowball fight and mom and dad hug in the driveway and everything just looks great and grandpa's sleeping on the chair and it's just warm and cozy and fires, and that's sort of the embodiment of this incredible holiday. And on some level, some of those things are true. And I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek, of course, because, you know, for most of us, that's what we mentally portray, at least in our minds, we portray Christmas to be. But the reality is, is that Christmas is sort of much more of a consumer-driven thing for us, right? I told you last week that it's estimated this year in 2013 that we will spend in America 460 to 470 billion dollars on Christmas. Eight to ten billion of that will be spent on decorations for our homes and yard. The average American kid will get 50 presents this Christmas. My poor children, right? No, the average American kid will get 50 presents. Average American dog owner will, eight out of ten of them will buy their dog a present at $40 a dog. The reality is that most of us will put all of those expenses on a credit card, right? said that 85% of all of us will put most of our Christmas shopping on a credit card. The average is 16.99%. And most American families, as of 2010, carried about $8,500 in credit card debt. The reality is Christmas is not about those things. We know that, right? So what is it about really? I mean, deeply. If it's not just about the sort of cultural picture that's there, and we know it's not about the consumerism, we all know that. What is it? really about. So what I thought I'd do over the next three weeks as we, or the three weeks that are leading up to our Christmas service, I would sort of explore three things that I think Christmas is, is really truly about. And last week we talked about Christmas being about presents. And not presents with an E-N-T-S, but presents with an E-N-C-E, right? Presents, right? Is that good? Did I, do that? I went to tech, so it's hard to, to know if I spelled that right. So we, our coloring books don't use words a lot. So no, we, uh, you, you know, Christmas is about presents. And I talked about it being about the incarnation, And the incarnation, by definition, is the embodiment of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And that Christmas itself is about God breaking into humanity through the person of Jesus Christ to redeem and set free humankind. That's the picture of Christmas. It's not about that sort of little peaceful moment where Jesus is lying in the manger, but instead it's about God taking on the full weight of sin, becoming sin for us so that in him we might know the righteousness of God. The incarnation was radical. It was a radical collision of heaven and earth. It wasn't some nice little easing in of things. Instead, it was a collision by which John calls light piercing the darkness. It was all that was holy entering all that was not. And it was radical. And Christmas, first and foremost, is about that incarnation. It's about God's extravagant radical love for humanity that stepped into our world so that we might be set free from our sin. And I talked last week a lot about how Christmas was about presence, about the incarnation. Well, this week I want to explore the, the second idea, which is I think Christmas is about worship. And I think most of us would know that. We'd say, yeah, sure, Christmas is about worship. But for very few of us, does that really embody what this sort of season means, right? 
But Christmas, and I'm not talking about Christmas Eve, I'm talking about Christmas season is really about worship. And it's not just the reason for the season, it's actually the reason for all of life in general. We don't oftentimes think about it that way. I mean, every time I turn on the radio or the TV, they're telling me how many shopping days are left, right? There's only 14 days left, as if i, I got to freak out. And the reality is, is that's true. But every time I hear it, I cringe a little bit because for me, that robs me of the reminder that this entire season, everything about it, the incarnation, everything about who God is wrapped up in what he did for us is stolen when I redirect my focus on those kind of things. Christmas is about worship. And so what I thought we'd do this morning is we would explore worship from the standpoint of how it began, the worship of Christ, how it began some 2,000 years ago, what it looked like. And we're going to be in the book of Luke chapter 2. And to do that, we're going to look at a set of verses that really people only break out on Christmas Eve, right? But we're going to actually kind of buck the trend and get a few weeks early and and really look at this picture of what worship looks like. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 8. And we're going to look at some very familiar, hopefully familiar verses about what worship really began as 2,000 years ago. The worship of Christ began as, because it's really different um, than what I think we most, most of us think when we gather at, at churches and we sing carols and we sing Christmas songs. The worship that began 2,000 years ago around the inbreaking of Christ into the world is, is something remarkable. So let's, let's uh, pray and then we'll take a look at that. Lord, I am so grateful that you love us, that you love us. And I'm grateful, Father, not just for this time of year, but that this time of year is a reminder of something that, that didn't just happen 2,000 years ago, that was in the making for before time began. That, Father, your redemptive plan always was. And, God, I, I'm grateful that you broke into that, that world that we are a part of to set us free. And then, God, that Christmas and Advent is not about an event that took place 2,000 years ago by in which we remember a tiny baby. But, God, it's a movement in which you set us free. It's the beginning of a redemptive plan that was carried out through the cross and through the resurrection. And, God, your promise is that you will come again, and we anticipate that. Take a moment in your own heart and just ask God to maybe Maybe turn your idea of Christmas, of worship, upside down a little bit this morning. That he might just challenge you through his word. Just take a moment and, and pray that. God, turn my, my thoughts about Christmas and worship upside down a little bit this morning. Pray for somebody beside you or in front of you, behind you, wherever, right where you are. Just as we say each week, be in the habit of praying for other people. Even if that seems a little odd, just... Uh, Just try it. Just whisper uh, that God might move in someone's heart beside your own this morning. Lord, we love you. We thank you that this is what you did for us. And we pause to ask you to redirect our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So book of Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, right? Very familiar words. Um thinking within the context of worship. So let's take a look at it together, and then we'll just sort of unpack a few things that I think are worth looking at. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And, they, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had heard and been told about this child. And all who heard about it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Very familiar words. In fact, we'll read them again together on the 22nd as we celebrate our sort of Christmas worship together. And they're they're words that are typically reserved for this time of year. We very seldom break them out. But I find them remarkable because if this entire season, if Advent is really, if Christmas is really about worship, How did worship begin? The worship of Christ. Not worship Old Testament in front of of, of Yahweh, but really the worship of Christ. How did that begin? Because I think what we'll find is that there's something remarkable that is happening that gets lost in this movement, even for us as followers of Christ. And so I want to draw your attention to several things in this passage that I think are worth looking at. The first is sort of how this thing began. So here we have these shepherds gathered out in the fields, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and made this proclamation. Made this proclamation that said, listen, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, they were terrified. The angel of the Lord made this proclamation. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Christ, the Lord. The announcement of the coming of the Messiah, the Christ, the one, was made to a group of shepherds. Now, most of us kind of hear this, and we say, yeah, that's part of how the story goes. I remember when I was in a Christmas pageant as a kid, and and we dressed up as shepherds, and there was the angel of the Lord, and it was part of the story for us. But there's something really remarkable here, that the God of the universe, the God that made the stars and the trees, the God that breathed life into our lungs, made his birth announcement of his son to a group of shepherds. Now, shepherds were basically throwaways. They really were. They tended the sheep out, kind of out in the pastures because nobody else would do it. We know they were throwaways. We know that they were pretty much the youngest sons in a family that were given that task. And they would go out for days and weeks at a time, and they would fend off the sheep from wild beasts. They would protect them. We know that they would go and track down sheep that got lost. And the only time they would leave those sheep was when they were safely in the pen for an evening or for a rest or for a break or for whatever. But they spent their time out there. We all remember when when God gave Samuel a task of finding the new king of Israel. And Samuel goes to Jesse and says, Jesse, God has told me to come to you that you, one of your sons is going to become the great king of Israel. And so what does Jesse do? He lines up his gorgeous se- you know, seven sons, and they're beautiful, and they're handsome, and they're all these things. And Samuel goes through, and he looks at each one of them, and he says, nope, not you, not you. Ah, no, not you. you know, he goes all in the end. He looks at Jesse, and he goes, hey, I've been through all seven of these. God said it's one of your kids. Do you have any others? And Jesse said, yeah, I've got a youngest, but he's out tending the sheep. He's a shepherd. Throwaways. Of course, that guy out there tending the sheep was David, who, of course, came, later became the greatest king in all of Israel's history. Shepherds were throwaways. 
They were outcasts. And yet here the God of the universe makes this birth announcement of Christ, the Messiah, the inbreaking of who God is to a bunch of shepherds out in the field in the Middle Eastern night sky. So these shepherds are gathered, and the angel of the Lord appears to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. Oftentimes we skip some of these verses. You'll see a few more that I, I pick out, that we skip these. We imagine this sort of Middle Eastern night sky, and the shepherds sort of gathered with their nice little staff, so they got that little crook on the end, and the angel of the Lord appears and says to them, you know, today in the town of David, a Savior is born, and bubbles and teddy bears fall from the sky, and everybody is just happy, and it's like, woohoo! But what happened is, as the angels appeared, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and the shepherds were terrified. This is the incredible picture of the incarnation, the inbreaking of God into the world, the presence of God, the glory of God exploded in the Middle Eastern night sky, the shepherds were terrified. Do you remember when Saul, right, Saul was on the road to Damascus? And Jesus basically shows up in his presence, and it says that a light from heaven exploded all around him, and Saul fell to the ground terrified, and he cried out and said, Who is it, Lord, that is persecuting me? And it says, Saul, it's me, Jesus. Saul later goes on to become Paul, etc., etc. But that moment, that glory of the Lord moment, brings about sheer terror, because listen, here's the deal. God in his perfect, infinite, amazing holiness comes crashing into our sinful reality and his glory explodes so you've got these huddled together terrified terrified shepherds as God's glory explodes in the sky this is like nothing anyone's ever seen Jesus didn't just sort of ease into creation it was an incredible collision so you've got these shepherds terrified and the angel of the Lord says to them listen don't be afraid I bring you good news Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He's the Christ. This is the one, the Messiah, the one that everyone's been talking about for millennia, right? This will be a sign to you when you will find the baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger, just like we've always known and heard that story. Then verse 13, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men who's who, with whom his favor rests. So as the angel of the Lord is making this announcement saying, listen, tonight in the town of David, a savior is born to you. He is the Christ. Suddenly, as if that wasn't startling enough that the shepherds are gathered, suddenly a great host of heavenly angels appears and begins this sort of concert of concerts. Now I know what a great company would be of people, right? I mean, this seems like a pretty big company of people, but I can't imagine what a great company looks like to God. So in the middle of this angel sort of declaration that a savior had been born in the town of David, a great company of heavenly hosts, heavenly angel, appear. And they begin basically this song, this chant, this concert in the sky, whose audience is basically these shepherds. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men with whom his favor rests. So you've got this angel, and you've got this incredible host, and the glory of the Lord shining all around. And the audience of that inbreaking good news is a bunch of castaways, right? It wasn't a bunch of kings and royalty gathered together saying, look at this incredible show, this incredible thing that's happening, this, this, this concert, this movement of God. No, you've got boys, most of them between 11 and 14, huddled outside in the Middle East, terrified out of their mind, and God showing up saying, I want you to be the first to know. 
So as this company of angels begins to sort of break into this concert of concerts, this is what they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to whom men our favor rests. Now, most of us have read this and have adapted a little bit, right? Most of us have read it and said, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, right? We, we adapt these verses that we see in this context to be this sort of God came in Christ to bring us all peace. That Jesus is the Prince of Peace and therefore we should all walk around holding hands, singing, we are the world, stretching across the earth with Coke bottles, right? Because peace on earth, that's what Jesus was. It was the easing into creation, and Jesus came so that we would never fight anymore, and that we would all hold hands and hug, and everything would be okay. But that's not what's happening. If you look closely at those verses, you'll see, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Now listen to this. Jesus' very life, the incarnation and his very life, the earth, the, the years that he walked this earth, his death and his resurrection were not peaceful things. They were violent, and they were brutal. Jesus was betrayed. He was beaten. He was crucified. His followers were martyred. They were thrown to lions. Some of them even burned alive, and it happens even to this day. This is not the kind of peace on earth where we all sit around and hold hands, and no one argues, and no one fights, and we send that little column of Christmas cards out at Walmart that says religious, and they all say peace on earth on them. We make sure we get one of those so that people know we're Christians when we send them cards. It's not what Jesus is actually doing. It's not even the kind of peace we're talking about. What that great heavenly host says, a company of angels says, is that peace on, uh, on earth, peace to men, right? So the peace is to men on whom, and that men there is encompassing of creation. Peace on earth to men whom his favor rests. You know what that means? That means the peace that Jesus came to bring was not a peace where we all hold hands and no one argues. But that Jesus, the Savior, the incarnation, broke into our world to redeem us from sin. That the restlessness, the sinfulness that leads to death and destruction, that we can have peace in our hearts when through faith in Christ we can trust that we've been saved. You know what these angels were doing was they were setting up the redemptive plan that was unfolding. Because in Christ... The Savior came redemption. And even though this world was steeped in sin and was going to struggle and was going to basically infight and there was going to be difficulty and pain and hurt and tears and loss and sickness and disease, the peace that comes from knowing Christ says that even though those things surround me, my heart stands redeemed because Jesus is coming to die and has given his life for my sin. See, peace on earth is not a peaceful earth. It's peace on earth to whom, men, that God's favor rests. Meaning that when we surrender our hearts to Jesus Christ, we are washed with a peace that only comes from knowing God. Meaning that if the world falls apart around me, my soul is at rest because I know I'm saved and I know that Jesus, you are enough for me. This is what the angels are proclaiming. They're not proclaiming a one-night carol sing that happens and we all feel good about it. What he's saying is, listen, in the middle of this brokenness, a Savior has been born and he is lying in a manger and he will change everything. And in the middle of a peaceless, restless world, you will find peace for your heart when God's favor rests on you. See, it doesn't change the fact that this world is full of sin and destruction, but it changes my heart and my mind and my soul 
when I'm captured by Christ. So when the angels had left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, right? The Lord has told us about. So the angels disappear and the shepherds look around and they go, well, we've got to see this. I mean, this is incredible. So they did something kind of inconceivable. They left their sheep. They actually walked out on their sheep and they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby that was lying in the manger. Shepherds didn't leave their sheep, period, ever. It was their only job, and they took, they would give their life for those sheep. Many accounts in antiquity have shepherds that have given their life fighting off a bear or a wolf. Right? Even Jesus tells a parable of how he goes after the one. He's got 99 sheep that are fine, one drifts. Jesus pursues them, even though the difficulty rescues that sheep and brings them home. Shepherds didn't leave their sheep. But something so remarkable had happened that the shepherds leave. They've got to see this thing. They show up and they find Mary and Joseph and that baby. And, and when they saw what they had been told about this child, right, they went and told everybody. That they went out and they told, and everyone who heard about it, they were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. They came back to the fields, glorifying and praising God for what they had seen and been told. So the shepherds hurry off out of the field, and they find Mary and Joseph, just as the angel of the Lord had proclaimed. And then they told everybody around them. They said, you're not going to believe this. You can almost see these boys scattered through the, through the, the town, racing up and down doors, talking about what they had seen, talking about this, this child. And everybody that was hearing this story about these angels and this heavenly host and what they were proclaiming and the glory of the Lord and the night sky lit up and the baby was there and Mary and Joseph and this whole thing, they were amazed. They were amazed. The shepherd's testimony began to change the people around them. And then they returned to the fields because it was all they knew. And when they did so, they did it praising God and glorifying him for what they have seen. I promise you, their lives were forever changed. You know, when I think about the season, I think about the incarnation, I think about worship. I very kind of, very much so, am not caught up in an overwhelming passion to just dive into worship. Like I told you last week, all too often we get hung up in what still has to happen and the challenges, especially running and leading a church. We've got things to do and things to plan and very seldom does my kind of overwhelming passion to worship take precedent in my life. Convicting. When I see these shepherds and when I look what God did when he broke in and he spoke to these basic outcasts saying, listen, I want you to know what's happening. And they, their whole lives were about worship. They ran and found out. They went and told everybody they knew. They returned and they were never the same. Year goes by. Christmas goes by. Everything's great. Happens and it'll happen again in your life most likely. But are we really changed by what takes place? By what took place some 2,000 years ago? Are we really changed? What does worship look like for your family? You're going to be faced with a lot of decisions to make this Christmas, where to spend, where to give, how to live, what to spend your time with, how to engage in things relationally, what matters. You're going to be faced with whether or not to engage in worship, to read Advent with your family, to read through Scripture, whatever they are. My challenge is for you is that I pray like these shepherds, we would be caught up in overwhelming in an overwhelming passion to engage in worship. To just say, God, you get all of my life. And not worship that says, I come on, I make sure I make my Sunday church so that I sing some songs and I get to hear a little bit of the word for an hour and a half. No, that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a lifestyle that says, God, everything 
is about you. Everything. Not that hour and a half on a Sunday, but every waking moment of my life is about your glory and about you and about me saying yes to you. Like, look what you did for me. And then I think just like the shepherds, God shows up in the middle of our life and he says, I want you to know what's unfolding. This is not an ordinary event, but it will forever change history. And we have the luxury of knowing now the other side that this Jesus would walk this earth sinless, would die for you and I, for our struggle, for our sin, so that we could be set free. Who are you telling that story to? I mean, honestly, who are you telling this to? The shepherds ran to town and they told everybody they found and everybody was amazed. Honestly, we're lucky if we even invite anybody to church with us. Who are you telling these truths to? Part of our life should be about proclaiming. That's what worship is. Worship is about the recognition and the proclamation of who God is. It's not something that's done in our secret closet. It's about saying, God, my whole life is different because of who you are. So I told you last week that I wanted to challenge us as a community, as a family, to think differently about Christmas. We really take kind of Advent differently. We've been doing it different for years. I challenge our community to think differently, to give less gifts, to spend less money, and to engage in things that matter. Two real ways I want you to think about doing that. One, I want you to think about doing it relationally. Give your time away. Give it to your family, to your wife, to your husband, to your kids, to your relatives. Invite your neighbors over to your house. Have hot chocolate with them. Share your story. Share your lives. Engage relationally. That's the first way. I'll be talking about that more next week. Second way, and the one that I really want to focus on this week, is that I want you to think about giving differently. Giving your dollars differently. Not to, not to us, but how you give your money away. So this isn't a pitch to give to the church. It's a, it's a pitch to give your money away. What if we gave less to each other and more to make a difference in lives around the world? We have a unique opportunity that we want you to be a part of, and I'm going to show you a little video first, and then I'm going to invite this young woman up to come and share part of her story and how we can be a part of something different this Christmas.